You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I've kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? I know that you were very excited, Richard, about talking about the movie we're going to talk about today um, after watching it. Yeah, um, it's crazy because uh, we were supposed to do it. <laughs> it's like we, we had to put the podcast off a little bit. And uh, yeah, like I, I got done watching it and I was, uh, was very excited to uh, chat with you about it. Yeah, after some scheduling snafus, we uh, had to push it off. But we're, we're getting around to, to recording about The Vast of Night off of Hulu. Uh, Prime. I meant Amazon Prime. I'm glad you were paying attention. <laughs> I passed the test. Yes, uh, I did that though too. Like I, you, I think you told me about it. You were like, "Hey, we should we should watch this and talk about it." And I, for some reason, I think I did the exact same thing. I just instinctively went to Hulu, and then I was like, "Wait, he said it was a, a Prime original. I gotta I gotta go to Amazon for that." <laughs> yeah, the, I mean. I, it's it's just it was such an interesting movie and i knew that it would be something that you would probably dig and only an hour and a half was uh kind of interesting as well so we'll get into that in a little bit but let's uh let's talk about a couple of things i know that you're a big gamer obviously people can go watch you on your uh twitch stream and stuff like yeah. that and i am a big comic book person and i played the first two arkham games okay but they're re- they're Rocksteady, I guess, the company that makes the Arkham games, or at least one of them. Yeah, they made, they made a few of them, I think. Yeah, because there's only one that's a different person, right? Like the isn't it Arkham Origins or, or Arkham Knight or something like that, or mm, maybe maybe one or two now. I, I I forget exactly how many they're on to at this moment. Well, they're going to be Rocksteady's making a Suicide Squad game, and I was like, I'm wondering, like, what that's going to be like. Is that going to be like, uh, like? like an Arkham game, but you switch out characters. Do you think? I mean, I I would, I mean, you would kind of think that that would be the case, but I mean, looking at kind of what happened with the movies, they were leaning a little bit more on like Harley Quinn kind of being almost like the front person, you know, of the band, so to speak. Um, And then of course, James Gunn is also, remaking or rebooting or doing a sequel to the suicide Squad movie yeah so yeah. i'm not really sure what's going to happen there but uh let's see one game rants rocksteady's batman experience means big things for the suicide squad game uh wb's choice of developer does raise a few questions about the suicide squad a as well as how it might connect with rocksteady's history with arkham yeah hmm. i mean it does there's not really a lot of information, but it's like, how does, how, how do other games that are like the Arkham game, like do with switching out characters? I, I just went to talk so quickly that I almost choked on my own spit. That's how coordinated I am. Um, <laughs> well, so I, I think, you know, I think the interesting thing is that I, I can see it working because I mean, the, you kind of do have some moments where you hop back and forth through, like Batman or Catwoman, like in one of the oh, games, you true. can yeah. kind of play that. And then I think, I think you might also have been able to play as Nightwing or Robin or something in there. So I don't think that would be too challenging. And I know it's not really related, but um, I mean, it's related in the gaming sense, but not really related in, in the way that like the Batman games are made. But like they, they also kind of, I thought, balanced it fairly well in like Grand Theft Auto 5, where you had three different protagonist and like the interesting thing was that like you could basically hop to one of those characters or one of those three characters at any time that you wanted and then continue to play through their storyline um and then at any given time you could switch back to one of the other ones so i mean with the arkham games being more traditionally kind of open world environments i could see that being uh, a really interesting approach especially if each character has a very unique skill set or a very unique uh combat style or something of that effect it could even be a thing where like 
you're kind of going and they're maybe like NPCs for part of it and then you can switch to them as you need for different parts of the mission or something maybe um that could be interesting the one thing i did see about this uh was well i thought this was for the same game maybe it was the movie but there was like a picture and it looked like it was like over uh superman's shoulder but the thing that was really interesting to me about it was like there was this like purplish hue and i was like that's not superman is it is that bizarro uh, that would be interesting yeah i mean i think i i think i remember seeing that uh that poster too but doesn't it usually have doesn't it have like the crosshairs on superman's head i think it's a, i think it has like crosshairs or it says suicide squad or something like that i think yeah yeah i took it as like the suicide squad going after superman but if it's bizarro that is interesting like you if you could play as bizarro that'd be cool well not even necessarily playing as him but if he was like the actual uh antagonist like if they were actually going after bizarro that might be kind of weird but then like i don't know it it, that that really does open up the the door though because i mean it with it being a suicide squad game you're not really limiting yourself to just the batman verse like you can basically use all of the dcu as kind of like your or the i guess it's not the yeah, the DC universe. Yeah, so there's yeah. too many uh, initials for these stupid things. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could almost use that as like your entire playground, which I think is is also interesting. And then, like, was it? Did you read if this is going to be like uh, current gen, or I'm assuming this would have to be next oh, gen? Yeah, I, I believe it's going to be next gen. So I mean, that also really opens up the doorway to see some some hopeful. Uh, the big problem you have is anything that's going to come out relatively soon. Is probably still going to have to be backwards compatible with the, uh, you know, the PS4 and the Xbox uh, One. And, you know, the downside to that is, is that that is going to hinder some of what they can do with the game. But I was like, if they make it a truly next gen game, I mean, they could push the open world uh, like just way over the top and be completely insane. So I, I don't know. It, it could be really, really interesting, actually. That's that's really cool. I mean, I, I could totally see it. So. Uh, still speaking of games, though, I know some, another game that you're really into is the uh, Sam Fisher Splinter Cell games, right? So yeah. Netflix is developing an anime uh, of the property with the writer of John Wick, Derek Kolstad. Now, in the Splinter Cell games, don't you have a pretty iconic voice already? Well, yeah. I mean, Michael Ironside was the voice of Sam Fisher for a long time, up up until they did uh, Splinter Cell Black Blackside Blacklist, something like that. Um, and then they 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 weirdly went to a different actor, and it was very jarring. Like the game was okay, uh, but it was completely jarring. And they and and like I don't know. There, I vaguely remember them saying their argument was they were like, "Well, we want to take it in like a younger, newer generation or newer way or whatever." And I'm like his voice doesn't sound old. It's not like Michael Ironside is like, I gotta, you know, come over there and whoop, choke you out. You know what I mean? Like he has such an amazingly iconic voice that, yeah, I mean, I think that's the cool thing with him going animated is they could potentially bring Michael Ironside in to do the voice of Sam Fisher, which to me would be the best thing. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's also interesting that it has the writer from John wick. I think that is, uh, or well, some of the John wicks anyway. I mean, interesting piece of information to have is that Tom Hardy has been attached to play Sam Fisher since 2012. They just haven't like moved forward with that movie at all. So is there a possibility where you accept Tom Hardy doing the voice of Sam Fisher in the anime? It's, and it's already gotten two seasons. It's got a two season, uh, order from netflix i don't uh, i don't want to say no because i i do love me some tom hardy um but i i don't know i think if you're going animated like it it doesn't really make sense to change the voice again and it's not like it's not like michael ironside's doing a lot of things so it's not like they can't afford him i wouldn't imagine I mean, I feel like he would be more cost effective than hiring Tom Hardy to never actually see him. Like if they were doing a live action movie, I would be more on board for that. Um, I, still, I don't know. It's it's weird because I still think Tom Hardy's almost a little too uh, big to play uh, Sam. Like I, when I think of him, I think of somebody who's a little bit. 
I mean, obviously cut, but not like. Yeah, well, you're thinking of like his version of uh, like his Bane, right? Like that's that's what you think of when you think of Tom Hardy. But he's he's done roles where he's pretty slim. He, yeah, in the past, uh, I don't think he's done any, re- and I don't blame him. I mean, if I worked my butt off to get in that kind of shit, I mean, I guess he did Capone, which he wasn't necessarily uh, smaller. I mean, I think he put on some some pounds for that in order to look a, like a lot older. But like, I, I believe Tom Hardy could do anything. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I, I don't know. I think it would be interesting to. I feel like I've said interesting like fifty thousand times. I got to try to stop saying that, but I feel like a better approach might be to, if you're going live action um, to try to get someone who's less iconic because oh. the character themselves is super iconic. So, right. you know, there's some disconnect of like overshadowing, like, you know, Tom Hardy's so iconic and badass that it's like, can I see him as Sam Fisher? I don't know. But if you got someone who is maybe a, kind of a newer, fresher face, um i think that could be good okay i mean do you do you have a certain person in your head for a live action sam fisher oh no i mean not re- i mean if i sat down and thought about it i'm sure i could probably come up with something but i <laughs> i don't know i just i just and that's super petty on one hand to be like oh tom hardy's too buff to to do it but like i just i, I don't know like the body style i think when you look at the games has always been kind of like slimmer and less like bodybuilder ish you know right not that that's a bad problem to have i'm not saying that but i just i i mm, I don't know i gotta think on on that who would be good i mean do you have anyone you think would be good i really don't but i was gonna throw out somebody right now what do you think of like chris evans Still too big. My problem, no. My problem there is Captain America. My problem there is he jumps down and like goes to do something. I'm just gonna be waiting for the shield to get thrown, and then I'm gonna be like, "Wait, this is Splinter Cell. What's happening?" Okay, that's fair. That's but that's, fair. that's what I mean. Like they, that's why I feel like you have to go with someone who's like a fresh face. I feel like if you go with someone who's iconic, they're gonna overshadow the character, or if you know they're not a good enough actor the character is going to overshadow them it's like a really thin line of who could do this i think how about in this might this would be a big jump for him but what about like steven amell who recently played green arrow on tv for seven again then i'm just i'm so deadlocked into like green arrow like yeah that show so that's why i figured i'd be getting it past you no i did i watched i watched the first couple of seasons i didn't finish it okay (laughs) <laughs> well I, I you know what when you watch more movies this year you go ahead and you keep an eye out for for someone to play sam fisher okay but i do think that's why going animated is a good choice right yeah you don't have you, to worry about that. yeah you you get around that whole problem okay well in a little bit of uh i this is out of left field news for me uh, 1992, there was a movie starring John Ritter where he gets sucked into a television and has to jump from channel to channel until he can get home, uh, being tortured, so to speak, by uh, the devil. And Ooh. it's called Stay Tuned. And AMC is going to adapt that into a TV series now. And I was just like... I mean, I liked the movie when it was in when in 1992, but that seems like the most random show for there to be. I mean, that's digging deep into the wells of intellectual property that someone owns that they could revitalize. I mean, <laughs> I agree with you. I remember watching the the crap out of that movie. Like, yeah. I thought it was awesome, but I, yeah, that's really weird that's such a strange property to be like you know what we need to not only redo redo as a series as a series yeah so like i'm 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 trying to picture what that could possibly look like as a series and i'm guessing it's like a little bit of quantum leap a little bit of sliders if people know what sliders is um where you know each episode is the couple if they stick with a couple jumping from one show to the next and having to navigate through that which could be interesting it could be very meta in the fact of like 
you you know playing up the tropes of of uh, police procedural or uh, you know what else is a, a, a new superhero show or something like that. You know what I mean? So what it could be and what it is going to be could be two completely different things. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, I could also, cause the, the other thing is that like in the, for those that are listening that maybe haven't watched it, you get the, they get pulled into the TV and then they're going kind of like through these different, uh, different types of shows basically throughout the course of the movie. So maybe, each, like you said, maybe that's where the quantum leap side of it comes in. Like maybe each episode is them getting pulled into a different type of show. But even then, I feel like that's maybe a season at best. Like I've that's such a hard like show to try to be like, we're gonna get, you know, three seasons or a hundred episodes and yeah. all this out of it. I'm like, I don't is there enough content for that i don't think so i mean unless you're stuck in one type of show for a whole season that way you're oh. in a different type of show the next season uh yeah it could but then again this is the channel that's what made eight seasons out of the walking dead now or is it 10 seasons is it more how many how many seasons? I don't know, they're at least 10 aren't they and then they did two series they they have a fear the walking dead too they have Fear the Walking Dead, and they're soon to have The Walking Dead uh, World Beyond, which is the new spinoff series. And then there's supposed to be three movies starring uh, the character of Rick Grimes, played by... I can't think of his name at the moment. Uh, Lincoln? Andrew Lincoln? Andrew Lincoln, thank you. Yeah. So, that, yeah. I mean, they've... They're, they, I mean, I guess they know how to expand IP. Hmm. That, yeah, I mean that I, I guess I don't know, but, but I guess to be fair, The Walking Dead has so much more like source material to pull yeah. from than nineteen ninety two. Stay tuned, you know, like the hour and a half movie from nineteen ninety two. Yeah, it's weird. It's a backtrack for just a second. Um, I don't know. I might be breaking my rule. He might be a little too iconic and i didn't like the latest uh series he was in but i think pedro pascal could be a good sam fisher like he's around that age range uh he's close to the body type i would think and i mean we saw him as the viper in game of thrones so like the dude can get some moves in there which is what you would expect from sam so that could be good uh, could be a good option so you're gonna have him going from the mandalorian where he his character has to wear a mask the whole time into uh splinter cell where the character wears a mask the whole time (laughs) i don't see why not i mean okay if if not that then my fallback would be carl urban again maybe still too iconic but i love carl urban the dude he could be everything and and right now he's he's really big with the boys though so true but that's even more reason to do it cuz then you're going to try to steal some of that thunder from from Amazon you're going to be like oh well, he's in a huge show right now let's put him in this cuz apparently we're never getting dread 2 <laughs> yeah, it's true we aren't ever going to get that dread 2 or or the dread tv series so i know that's that's unfortunate i'm sorry yeah, i'm being all three it's I mean, yes, I'm all for it. Yeah. Get Carl Urban and more things. Uh, okay. Talking about the vast of night. Uh, what did, did you watch the trailer before you went in? No, no, no. I didn't. Uh, I didn't know anything about this at all. Other than you were like, Hey, we should watch this and talk about it. And I was like, okay. What did you, what were you expecting then when you first, when I first told you, and then you first turned it on? Um, well, I mean, I didn't really have any expectations going into it at all. I I, I guess I would say this, though. There are certain times where within the first few moments of a movie, you're watching it and then you you stop and you think, okay, wait a second. This is going to be something different. It's not necessarily that it's going to be amazing or like the greatest movie that you've ever seen. But there's just something that happens to where your brain kind of takes a step back and is like, wait a second, this is going to be something different. And that is completely what happened to me at the start of the vast of night. Uh, And it opens weirdly on just a black screen with like kind of 1970s music playing. And there's almost like, um, I don't know. What's that? 
I think you have to go back a little bit further. I think it's like 1950s. Is it? Is it the 70s? Oh, it is the 50s. No, I think you're right. I think it is the 50s. No, you're right. You're right. Because they're talking about, uh, yes, the 50s. But the song the song that's playing sounds like it's like from the 70s, though. The song doesn't necessarily sound like it's from the 50s, at least to me. It, it just like the opening thing. And I don't know if maybe it was the TV, like, add some, like, backlight bleed. But it looked like there was, like, a little uh, music equalizer visual thing at the very bottom of the screen that was kind of, like, <laughs> moving to the music. And at first, I was like... Okay, this is weirdly feeling like a little Quentin Tarantino-esque for a second here. It's very strange. <laughs> and then it immediately comes out of that into like this weird Twilight Zone type vibe with like just this living room with like the slowest push-in on like a 1950s television. And it oh, even Oh, that's right. I I, for, I totally forgot about the cold open where it's like you're you're getting this whole uh faux living room setup thing and it it like um it's it it is talking like the twilight zone and i think they call it something different it's called like a uh, episode of the paradox or something like ah i forget what it is it's like paradox place or whatever and then it's like the vast of night but it's like pushing into a television and then the movie that you're about to watch actually is playing on that television and then you go into the television and into the movie and so, like, that was really an interesting choice. But what, I mean, like, what, where did you hear about this movie? Like, what made you be like, oh, we, we I should tell them to watch this? So I did see the trailer for it uh, before it came out. And then uh, on one of our other podcasts, we, uh, a couple of people from that on the Geeks Watch had said, you know, they'd watched it and it, it was interesting. And then I also heard about it after I'd watched it on, uh, I heard about it on the slash Filmcast podcast. So all these things, uh, to get together just made it so that I, I, I watched it, but, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just felt like, Oh, this, this could be interesting. And, and yeah, that beginning part that you're talking about, which I can't think of what the, the faux twilight zone esque TV show that, that, they present at the beginning it was it, paradox theater if i recall okay yeah uh, i think that i think that's right makes you kind of think that this might be some type of anthology type movie series like that they're going to try and do right yeah i mean it, it like i said it's a it's a very it's a very strange choice to me that they not only do they open the movie this way it cuts back to this at least I think three or four times during the actual movie too. So it, it is keeping at the forefront of your mind that you are watching a movie while watching a movie or it's <laughs> like, that's kind of what they're going for. But I guess that's where they're trying to maybe create that uh, paradox feel at least for you as a viewer is because then that would actually be paradoxical that you are watching a movie of watching a movie, which is weird. Um, but yeah, it, it's, Again, I don't want to say this movie is, like, amazing, but I think it's very refreshing, and it feels it feels very different. And it has this vibe to me, and I don't know, you can tell me what you think in a second, but it has this vibe to me that feels like it's an independent movie that's a very, like, young writer or director or writer director combo it, like there is a, but at the same time like i don't mean that in a bad way i mean that in a way of like they haven't really been jaded by like this is everything i have to do and like i have to do it this way because that's what the industry says but it was like and and again i still go back to the tarantino thing not in like terms of um not in terms of like the content but like that was like tarantino's like brush onto the on the scene was like this person that was like a young and up and coming filmmaker that had a very strong sense of like narrative and cinematography and all of these things and direction and all that stuff, but also blatantly had an overt passion for cinema and for films. And like, that's what this feels like to me. No. Yeah. And in talking about that, I mean, it is uh, the writer director is Andrew Patterson and it's his first, you know, big, production it's he it, it, it's it, all of his credits are for this it's director oh. vast of night only one credit writer vast of night only one credit 
editor, vast of night, only one credit, editorial department, producer. Like he, <laughs> this is the only credit he has on his IMDb. Wow. Um, yeah. So I, I definitely get what you're, you're saying. It's like, it has this, it has this like film school feel to it. Like almost, at least to me. And, but it has, it's high quality. It's made, uh, like I would have, wouldn't saw this in the theater, but then again, there's absolutely no, uh, big names in it. There's no big stars. You saw this in the theater? No, no, no. I said I would have gone and oh, saw this. Oh, okay. I was like, oh my gosh, when did it come out? Um, we don't get to go to theaters anymore. That's well, just, that's why I was like, when did it come out? I was like, that's crazy. That's the thing of the past. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's yeah. Oh, uh, I don't know what they're going to do for the Oscars next year. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah. Okay. That make that does make a lot more. It doesn't, that's the, like I said, that was definitely the vibe I was getting. I didn't think they were maybe that early in their career though, because that's, that's like, if this is his first feature, I still feel like, again, there's like a, a rawness to it. Um, but there's so many strong, like, fundamental like so much strong execution of fundamental principles of like cinema in this and that's why i think it feels very like refreshing and it's interesting too because the the basics basic uh basic premise of the film is that uh it's this very small town i think the population was like 498 people or something like that in new mexico in the 1950s um and it kind of starts off with our main protagonist like going into a, a gym and we kind of start realizing that the entire town is here and so essentially the rest of the story kind of unfolds with this like thriller mystery between this uh radio disc jockey he's like very charismatic and then kind of this like younger girl who look like seems like she's extremely interested in radio uh she's very much interested in science and like the future and all that sort of stuff um, but then she also is like covering a switchboard for her mom. Why her mom is working another job or something? No, no, no. I think she, it, that is her job. Oh, okay, that is her, her job. mom. Also has or her mom works at the switchboard. Restaurant. Yeah, no, no, no. She works at a restaurant or something like that. And she might be working two jobs, but I don't. I never caught that her mom also worked at the at the switchboard. I just think it's her job, and she just happens to be working that night. Oh, well, that wasn't, well, I thought, oh, okay, maybe I'm, that's maybe where I'm getting confused. Cause when she goes to the switchboard station, like the lady that she's talking to that leaves, I thought that was her mom, but maybe that's where I was mistaken. Oh yeah. I don't, I, I didn't catch that, but I could be completely wrong too. Hmm. Interesting. But yeah, so lo long story short for kind of the, uh, the story is that eventually there's, there's all these weird sounds that are kind of like going over the switchboard and over the radio. And we kind of start getting this story that's uh, developing that there's a real strong possibility that this is aliens. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely get that, that vibe. Um, it's, <laughs> I want to say that you, you, there's a lot of clues that are planted around to give you that vibe right off the top. Like there, even there's subtle stuff. There's, there's stuff that's, that's hidden. If you want to say that it's hidden, like uh, there's a lot of nods to war of the worlds, the, the radio station itself that the guy works at um, Everett. Yeah. Everett works at is W O T W, which is war of the worlds. Like it's a, it's a homage to it. It's a nod to it. Um, the whole radio play itself, it being the, the of, of the world, the world's you know, playing out here, Roswell, New Mexico, like, even though they're not in Roswell, it's still New Mexico. Like it's, there's a lot of alien stuff already there. So then when you start hearing this signal or sound and stuff like that, when she's, she's in the switchboard, you definitely get, okay, we're, we're going to start with aliens. Like we're, we're going into it. Yeah. Um, which again, and I, I don't know the the other thing that's nice about this too is that, um, and I would imagine that some of this is probably a restriction of budget more than anything, but leveraging that from a storytelling standpoint to not beat us over the head with showing the aliens because we really don't see aliens like we eventually towards spoiler alert <laughs> towards the very end of the movie, I we see light. 
ships or what could be described as like a, a UFO. Well, it is a UFO because it's unidentified, but you know, there's some sort of ship based thing that we're seeing, but I don't recall seeing like an actual physical formed alien that is present in any of this. I don't think. Yeah, no, it's, it's, you don't ever see like the quote unquote little green men or, you know, the tall grays that people talk about and stuff like that. It's, there's no ET, there's no, uh, signs there's no transformers like it's just it's the lights and the ship possible ships and stuff like that and which is also in itself refreshing yeah and and the other thing too is for not for being a movie that really doesn't have any like a-list celebrities or even b-list celebrities in this i mean the two main characters of everett and uh was it Faye, i think yeah, I've never seen them before. I, I I imagine they've maybe had some parts here or there, but you know, to really put an entire film on two very new actors' shoulders, um, I mean, the movie really just revolves kind of around them and their kind of interactions and their like exploits through this. I'm assuming it's just one night. It it actually seems like it's just a handful of hours that the uh, the whole story you know uh, transpires across, but like that's. That's pretty impressive, actually, because it's also very, very dialogue heavy. Um, there is a I, I, I don't really want to call it exposition because they're not I guess they are kind of telling you what's happening. Um, but it's more of the like people that are calling in that are talking to them that are doing the exposition. Um, but yeah, like that's extremely impressive. And I, I think there is some benefits to the movie only being an hour and a half instead of being two hours long. Uh, I think if he, if the director, writer, director would have tried to push the film for two hours, that could have been, uh, really bad, but the overall pacing of the movie, considering there's not a whole lot going on in terms of like actual action, it's pretty good. No, you're absolutely right. And the, the dialogue in this reminds me of a lot of like Aaron Sorkin writing. Like it's a lot of dialogue heavy conversations. There's it's people talking back and forth. It's it's passing along the information in a way that we feel like we're part of the conversation, I think. And it's so much heavy lifting for two relatively unknown actors. Not to say that that just because they're unknown means that they're not good actors. And that's the other thing is that other than just the two main leads, I would say that everybody does a really great job of acting in this. Like you watch some pretty low budget stuff where people, you can see they're forcing their lines or the emotion isn't actually there, but I felt the chemistry. I felt the, the, the lines I felt, you know, what was a big part of it too, was the process. Like mm -hmm. these two characters have certain process that they have to do. Like, uh, Everett has to do the whole reel to reel when he's working at the radio station to listen back to uh, the recording and like just to see the actor do that. There's no cut there. Like he's doing that by he had to learn to do that. That was just awesome. Her, uh, the, the Faye character, having to do all the switchboard stuff. Like I, I'm sure they probably just said pick a pick a, a slot. It doesn't really matter, but she does it with purpose and she does it to the point where it seems natural and it's just, it's great. It's just off. Awesome to see. Well, it, and you're, you're absolutely right. It, it, it not only does it feel natural in, in the visual fidelity of it, it, it appears very muscle memory motivated because yeah. I've never seen a freaking switchboard before. I don't, I, I mean, I knew that that's kind of how it works, but I mean, there's parts where she's like taking the wire and like pulling it and then like, you know, letting it go. And it's like zipping down. And then she's like pulling out the other one, and like flipping them around and like, but it's like so fluid. There's like no, you know, Oh, stutter or jitter, or like even just plugging them in. Like she's on point every single time. And that like, even the, the way that that's filmed too, there's like one part where and maybe i'm wrong but it it feels like there's like an 11 minute like hold of a take just on her doing that and it's like that's an insane amount of time to just sit on like <laughs> one thing and still have it keep your audience and be interesting and and that's hard that's really hard to do yeah no you're absolutely right 
And this movie does it over and over and over again. It's like every time you turn around, it's like they're, you know, continuing to do that. And like the other thing that I thought uh, is that's done uh, as a great way to showcase how small the town is, is it opens and very quickly to the opening, they're talking about like the power is kind of flickering and there's obviously some electrical issues. And they talk about this squirrel that bit through one of the cables the last time the power went out and the cable was still in the squirrel's mouth and you're like that gets said probably 30 times no that's an exaggeration but it gets said like over and over and over again and it's it's a good way of showcasing that this town is so small that everyone in the town knows about a squirrel biting an electrical cable and at the same time it's a it's such a well-written piece of dialogue because it tells you as a, a viewer that nothing nothing exciting ever happens in this town <laughs> like they're still talking about a squirrel m- maybe years later so it's like there's literally nothing that happens here and now all of a sudden you get aliens <laughs> i mean the, there's so many things about that opening scene though like when uh, Everett's just walking through the gymnasium and people are like, oh, you know, Mr. And I, I don't remember the actual character's name, but Mr. Davis is looking for you. Like, why is he looking for me? I don't know. He's looking for you. They're having issues with the power. And and he's he's talking to the one dude with the trombone and he takes the guy's trombone and then, you know, you know, puts it away in a locker somewhere. He's like, why are you doing that? Because I don't like the guy. He's he got he got annoying kind of thing. Like you get this history of all these characters in this town, which later on doesn't really doesn't really play into any of the story of that we need to know but we know that it's a town like you're saying we know that it's a town it's got people it has you know it has character all in all of its own like when he eventually does get to the guy who's trying to fix the power they're like no 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 i wanted you to get and not everett and yeah (laughs) so it's it's i don't know it's it's the beginning part is is great and i want to talk to you about that like as a as a film filmmaker yourself, and in you know a person that's gone through film school and studied and stuff like that, like the first scene, you don't really get to see anybody's face. Like the camera is following around Emmett from behind. Emmett and, uh, or I'm sorry, Everett and um, Faye. Like when they were talking back and forth. Mm-hmm. And, like what goes through storytelling wise to make that decision? I mean, that's very personal to the director and like what the director is trying to accomplish um to me it's kind of interesting because i guess the way that i would interpret what happens is like i said you get this opening where everyone is at the gymnasium um the gymnasium even though the power is flickering it comes back on and then everyone that's going into it to watch the game is just completely bathed in this warm uh, light, uh, and and then you have your two main characters that are kind of walking away from that into the darkness. So it's almost as if they're walking into the unknown. And that whole conversation that they're having is a conversation about unknowns to do with the future. Like she's talking about the invention of GPS, electric cars, electric freeways. Mm-hmm. And that's, and you're right. Cause when you were like, Oh, I think it's in the 1950s. You're right. Because he's like, when's all this supposed to happen by? And she's all 1974. And I was like, ha, Nope. <laughs> um, you're wrong. Uh, buckle up. Yeah. So I, I feel, and, and the other thing that's kind of intriguing there too, especially in the, in the scene where they're walking uh, down that road, those street lights are a very like almost daylight, you know, they're almost like 5,600 Kelvin. Like it's a very blue. Well, maybe it's even more blue than that. Like it, it might have some CTB or something added to it, which in one regard you could say is moonlight, but you see the street lights in the shot and they are very, very blue. So they're making that whole descent into darkness, very cold. It's not warm. It's not inviting where, the gym is. So again, that could be a symbolic choice that the director made to say, okay, we're leaving something that's warm and inviting and we're going into something that is that is cold and dark and scary and that's setting it up. But then as soon as she gets back to the switchboard, we see that warmth change back. So it's like whenever they're in a building, it's almost like, okay, we're safe indoors, but when we go outside that's where we're going to find our problems. And eventually they do, because that is where the, the aliens are at. 
Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And and then when they get to the switchboard, like they hold on her for quite a long time. Like it's just uh, it, it it I don't want to say it becomes a slower movie, but like camera work wise, it kind of does. Like at, for the beginning of this movie, where we just had this quote unquote you know one take shot looking thing where they walked all the way into the gymnasium around the gymnasium out the gymnasium and then down the streets to get to well and they went through the parking lot they were interviewing people and then they went down the streets and stuff so i mean you're getting like ease i mean it's it has to be at least 20 25 minutes yeah to the movie no it's probably about 20 minutes i think it's about 20 minutes and then you get to this shot where, you know, you're just sitting here watching her do uh, the work on uh, the switchboard. And then they do a completely black shot. Like it's it, she's talking to somebody on the phone and they just it's is it is it talking? Yeah. When the the gentleman is telling um, the radio guy about Everett about what that sound is. Right. It's like it's in the black because you kind of it kind of gives you that feeling of this is found footage or found audio. So we don't have video to go with it. We just had the recording of the audio that Everett made. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and even then right before that happens, you're again shown, uh, if I recall correctly, you're shown a picture of the radio through the television that the movie started with. Yes. And it goes from that into uh, just a black screen. And I mean, that, feels like that we sit on that black frame for like three or four minutes, which again is a very bold choice. <laughs> I mean, is there, so in, in radio, there's always the don't have dead, dead air. Is there a same thing for men when making a movie don't have a black screen? Uh, I mean, not, not, I wouldn't say that it's really talked about. Cause I mean, I do think there are some movies that do it and there's times where you will fade to black and maybe sit in that for a, a short period of time. But again, the, the, the choices that the director made for some of this, cause like you said, having 15 minutes of pretty quick, pretty f fluid movements on a camera across the vast array of, of this town into almost a, a standstill um, and then, you know, going back to the whole TV thing and then cutting in and just sitting because it, it's not like a couple of seconds. It's like a few minutes that we're just sitting there and it, it's done throughout the movie a, a number of times where you have that happen. And it's like that is a really bold choice because I do think you could lose uh, a, a lot of viewers that way, just not because there's inherently something wrong with it, because there is still audio going on. There's still something happening. But to me, those choices feel more like, like you said, like an homage type thing of two teleplays uh, or not teleplays, but radio plays back in the day of like war in the worlds and stuff where it's like, you're just sitting there, but you know, running the gamble of making just a black screen, engaging to an audience that's pretty wild like that is definitely a, a a strong choice to make and i i feel like there were moments where that took me out a little bit because i was like i get it I, I think i get it but i don't know if it needed to be done but it's interesting nonetheless yeah no i mean it's also interesting that the, the fact that you, you you felt that it brought you out like i don't i think it did also to me at, at, at certain points but it was fleeting because then I was like, okay, what are we doing here? Like kind of thing. Yeah. And I still think they, they picked really good parts of the movie to do that because I think if, you know, if you would have done that in the beginning, like if you would have had them walking and then just did that, I think it would have been infinitely more jarring. Um, it, but it does kind of, I, I guess maybe the thought would be that if you sit on a black screen and maybe you lower the audio. The hope, I guess, would be that that would create intrigue and would maybe pull your viewer closer and be like, oh, well, wait a minute. Why are we just sitting here on black? What's happening? So, so I feel like maybe that's why the choice was made. But I mean, again, th that who knows? I mean, I, th there could be infinite number of reasons of why the director chose to actually do that. But I feel like that could have been a, a choice. Um trying to think of what happens after that uh i think shortly after that they don't they get the phone call from the the older woman yeah not too long after that is when they get the 
phone call from the older woman who says, you know, I would appreciate it if you didn't, we didn't talk about it on, on air or whatever. Like if you can come to my home and uh, we can, we can talk about it there. And then as soon as you get there, she is like saying some words that are in a language that you've never heard before. And, uh, like it's it's all very very creepy like it's almost like we're going into a horror movie at this point mm-hmm. because it, is, it almost feels like a genre ch- shift but you know she's like he, they're, they're like hello and she's like oh back here and that plays out later like the reason why she's saying those words there is because and yeah we we've definitely gotten to spoilers at this point <laughs> yeah who hears those words that have already been taken at some point if i understand the story right or are uh affected by the the aliens in a way will then go into a trance they'll go yeah. into a trance that you know uh leaves them somewhat catatonic so if our two protagonists had walked into the into the house and heard those started hearing those words they wouldn't have moved any further and she would have known like it was, it's like a early detection system that she's developed here, which is like just incredible. Yeah, and 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 you're right. Like that that whole sequence again does feel like a tonal shift for at least that scene. Um, and again, maybe that's why they were using those those breakpoints. Maybe that's kind of meant to be like a thing to kind of like reset your perceptions of where the story is going to go next. Maybe it was to kind of like try to emulate the fact that it's a commercial break because you are still watching it on a television while you're watching the movie. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, the that that whole scene, just the way that it's uh lit. And the way that the, the, the woman is sitting there, and again, you're you're absolutely right when you were talking about the actors, like in a lot of like independent or lower budgeted movies or first time films or first time features, whatever you want to call them, you might get one or two good actors. Uh, but even her performance, it it feels so organically real yeah. to what she's talking about. And I mean, she's inevitably telling them the story about how she lost her son to aliens and people thought that she killed him or did something to her kid. And it's like, that is horrible. I mean, it's not, I mean that, and that's not just the, that's the end of her story. The beginning of her story is how, uh, you know, like she was with a person or a person that joined her family that survived a massacre kind of thing. Like, yeah, it's, she has a very, um, fabled story, so to speak, you know, and it all, it, she she tells the story in a very very believable way yeah mm-hmm. i mean it's so it's so good and and then like it goes from that and you know she's kind of like trying to hand him a piece of paper with the words written down on it and she you know she's like oh if you come into contact with someone tonight like say this to him and you'll know whether or not they're part of the freak show and then everett does not take the paper and so you have this moment where you're like oh Okay, we I thought he was going along from this this alien journey from the beginning, but now maybe he's being cynical, right? But what you don't realize is that he like a I mean, I guess you realize that he's recording the conversation because he tells her he's going to record it to put it on radio, but you don't stop and think about him using that until later when he's in the car and he actually plays it back and the two people that are driving well, well the one person that's driving the car and the other person's in the front passenger seat they just completely blank out and the dude almost crashes the cars and kills them. <laughs> like, it's so te- like so intense and terrifying. Yeah. You, I mean, you have to wonder where this ends or like where, it, how far it spreads out. Like, is it everybody in the town? Is it certain people in town? Cause these two people that were driving this car, they had met up with earlier because they were mm-hmm. listening to the radio and they were like, Oh, well, you know, there's this weird thing happening over in the Canyon that's nearby. And we've been seeing lights, you know, stream across the sky over and over all night. And so you you think that these two are going to be someone that our protagonists can trust, but not so much as when this happens. And which is just so much happens in this story, but it doesn't none of it really feels rushed to me. Oh, no. I mean, it, it is. um It's it is a paradox, even in and of itself. Like, it's a very slow burning movie where honestly not a lot happens but you feel like it was so much faster and a lot happened 
Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I didn't even think about it that way, but you're right. Yeah, yeah, it's super strange. Uh, so what do you think happens at the end? Uh, I mean, I you know, I feel like maybe they, I don't know. It feels like the easiest answer is is that they're gonna get sucked up by the aliens, but it almost looks kind of like kind of like the aliens just fly off and maybe leave them there because it's like there's like a giant mothership and like a it looks like a littler ship is going into it at the very end and i think they're kind of standing there looking up at that so i i think they do get left behind but did they have their memory wiped like are they gonna just be like basically zombies now or plus she has her little brother with her at the time like Mm -hmm. a baby it was like an infant yeah infant and uh in the reason why because at some point in time the person that was babysitting the 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 sibling uh went missing and she kept trying to call over there to find out and she eventually mm-hmm. ran into the house and grabbed the baby and then she gets a call from that person later and says hey did you do you have the baby and they're like yeah but where were you and she's like uh, i don't know like kind of thing it's just like what is it? i mean what else was going on in the town and then yeah we get to the end i don't know i i think because we got that story from the from the older lady who says, you know, she followed the footsteps out there and they just ended like the mm-hmm. child, her son was gone. Mm-hmm. And I I kind of feel like you, you they they show you the same thing in this. Right. Don't you see footsteps in the sand? Um, I, I think it I, I think we see that from the character's perspective. But if I recall correctly, the last few shots of the actual movie are. Uh, some of the people kind of blissfully leaving the basketball game. And then there's a very specific, two very specific shots of the switchboard room or building that she was operating empty. And then I think the very, very last shot is an interior shot of Everett's radio station with the lights coming back on. And it's just completely empty, which you're like, okay, yes, they're still out in that field, but then you're like, well, are they? Yeah. Because maybe that is supposed to be, you know, their rooms are empty. They are gone now. I mean, that's definitely how I felt. Yeah, but I just don't, I don't, I don't recall. I don't think we ever see them get like, no, tractor beamed up, right? So, no, no you never, well, maybe you're, maybe you're right. Maybe the last shot is just the footprints. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think you're right. I think the very last. I think it's the. I think it's the uh, basketball game, the switchboard, uh, radio, the radio radio station, and then I. I think it's actually footsteps up to her tape recorder in the dirt. Oh, that's right. Yes, tape recorder. And then that's it. And like the wind's like really heavy or something there. Like almost like the maybe that's when they're getting sucked up into the ship. Probably. There you go. <laughs> right? Is that right? I think that's right. I think so. So, so I mean, obviously it sounds like sounded like you ended up enjoying the movie. I, I did. Again, I I don't think this is a movie that is maybe for the masses. It's it's certainly like even though I have a very thorough enjoyment of it and I appreciate kind of all the aspects of it, um have a very hard time being like, this is truly an amazing film. Like I, I do think it's a really good movie. I think it's very refreshing, uh, which to me is, I think why I liked it even, even more than if it would have just been another kind of average Joe alien thriller. Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely, it, it's, it's not, it's not ET. It's yeah. not, uh, it's not transformers. It's it's something else completely. And that's what I guess I was trying to the next thing I was going to get. I was like, is there any comparable movie for you? Maybe it doesn't have to be about aliens, but like a comparable in pacing or in uh, content or, you know, in in the uh, spectrum of first time filmmakers that you can think of. Oh, man. Um, I mean, it in terms of pacing it does remind me a little bit of like uh unbreakable or or like the sixth sense uh the sixth sense is one that uh, again that was a very strong movie from uh m night when you know he was basically starting his career um arguably 
kind of came out of the gate too quickly and too strongly. So I feel like maybe, maybe that's what I would say. Um, I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen, at least I think it is. I think it's been a long time since I've seen a really strong potential from a very new voice in film filmmaking, or at least one we're getting exposed to now. I I don't actually know who the director is or, or what their name is, but, um, I hope that they can find funding to make more movies. Obviously it's going to be a while now because of, of, you know, COVID. Uh, but I would love to see more from this filmmaker. I think this filmmaker has a very strong understanding of all of the elements of filmmaking. Uh, again, I don't know who the cinematographer on. I, like, I didn't look anything on this up. So I don't, I don't know off the top of my head who the cinematographer was or anything like that. But the cinematography in this movie is wonderful. Uh, which is something very, very challenging, very difficult to do out of the gate on your first feature film. Um, again, this type of movie, uh, very dialogue-driven, um, very s- slow-burning in parts, uh, and also still intriguing and th- thriller-esque. Um, there, there's, it's just, there's so many levels to this film that are very complicated for a first-time filmmaker to get and to get right. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like maybe those are the two closest things I can think. And maybe if I thought more, I could I could come up with some other stuff. But what I don't. What about you? I mean, does this remind you of, of anything? Do you recall last time you saw like a filmmaker kind of come out like this? So first, before I get into that, I want to say the cinematographer is uh, I'm going to butcher his name, but it's uh, M. I. Litton Mitz, and it does it hands of stone. He's a cinematographer for Hands of Stone. It's like a boxing movie. Mints. And yeah. he did Hands of Stone, you said? I, I yeah, think, I think. Yeah, I think that's the same guy. Director photographer Hands of Stone, according to this. And uh, but the rest of his stuff, I don't I've never even heard of. Like I've never heard of a lot of these other uh, originally from Chile, I wanna say, but like he's a really great cinematographer. I'm kind of impressed they managed to get him on board. There you go. So um I think the way that you described it of like a, a first time or not first time filmmaker, but like starting out filmmaker, and I don't know if it's just because of the alien connection, but like Neil Blomkamp, I think has like in his first outings as a yeah. filmmaker that or feature filmmaker, um, I was very impressed with what what we got. If that makes sense, yeah, no, that's a that is also a really great choice. District Nine was uh, amazing. Um, there, there was another one that just came to my mind. Weirdly enough, it was also I think about aliens. Um, and I think the guy ended up going and doing one of the Cloverfield movies. I think he was the one who did Cloverfield Paradox, but like his first movie was also about aliens. Oh, you, uh, Moon. Uh, was the, it Moon? The director of Moon. Wasn't it uh, the guy who, isn't that the same guy who did uh, the, the Warcraft movie? Oh, I don't know. The, the one I'm thinking, oh man, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It was like a really low budget movie. Duncan Jones. So... Are you not thinking of Duncan Jones? I'm didn't not sure. He didn't do work. Uh, the Paradox movie. What am I thinking of then? Cloverfield Paradox. I'm gonna look that up. I don't think it was Paradox. I think it was the. I think it was the one with. Uh, uh, oh my gosh, John Goodman. Oh, so you, Dan Trackenberg, Tenfield Clover, Ten Cloverfield Lane. Cloverfield Lane. Yeah. What was what was the movie he did before that? Before Ten Cloverfield Lane. Uh, I remember he made that um, portal short. Uh, I thought there was like one that was, I think it was called like monsters or something. And it was like about aliens. And like, I remember the like last shot of it, it's like them standing there and like the lightning flashes and you can kind of see the ships in the background, but maybe I'm, maybe that is Cloverfield. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. You, maybe you're thinking of Cloverfield lane because before he did 10 Cloverfield lane, he made portal, no escape, a short black box TV, uh, an episode of that and a, a short called kicking. So mm. yeah. I'll keep thinking, uh, Oh man. Yeah. Dang it. <laughs> I feel like that was a good one, but I can't, I can't, uh, my brain's not working on that one. And Trackenberg making 10 Cloverfield lane is a perfect analogy to, or analog to this for me, because that movie blew me out of the water. I hated Cloverfield, the original Cloverfield. And I know 
Yeah. Ken Cloverfield Lane really doesn't have that much of a connection to Cloverfield other than the yeah. very end. Like that, the the way that movie makes me feel or made me feel when I first watched it was, was, was perfect. Yeah. And, and, and again, it, uh, it all basically takes place in a bunker underground. I mean, it's very difficult to make a movie that takes place essentially all in one location and uh, be very compelling and very intriguing and, and draw you in. And, and that movie definitely did. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. Richard, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Ray Cohen, R-I-C-O-W-N, or you can find me on twitch.tv slash Ray Cohen and the number one. What about you? Where can they find you? You, you want to get to talk to me about this movie or any other movie, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Mitchipedia, G-E-M. G-E-M stands for Geek Elite Media. You can find the rest of Geek Elite Media on Twitter at Geek Elite Media, at Geek Elite Media on Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Media is our Facebook page. Uh, please go and check out our port uh, portal, our Patreon <laughs> page. Just started up. We have some uh, interesting uh, tiers there. You could possibly force richard into doing a patreon only exclusive uh podcast if uh it is one of the options uh then go to our website geeklymedia.com for archives of this podcast and other podcasts on our network please rate and review us on whatever podcatcher you use it helps spread the word of our network but until next time this is the mitch and rich show on the geekly media network oh what what's up do you know who it was it was garth edwards it was called monsters oh it was, it was that lower budget alien movie yeah 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 and then he went on to do rogue one which is crazy <laughs> sorry no it's okay well there you go garth edwards make sure you go and check out monsters um but this is the Mitch and Rich show on the Geekly Media Network saying always remember to geek, geek out. This concludes our broadcast. Peace.